for that reading. I, you stand in awe of those words every time you hear them. And uh, you pray that as you spiral into them, as you get older and older, that you grow in your depth of understanding and, by the help of the Spirit, your ability to live out their implications. Keep your Bibles open to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-11. through 11. Also, if you have an announcement sheet, you're going to find on the inside of that announcement sheet uh, an outline. I think it's purple colored. Uh, can you hold one up? Are there, what, is, that, is that mauve? How many times? Do I, <laughs> purple is purple. I think it's purple. Uh, violet. Maybe it's violet. Uh, get those out, and we're going to use those as uh, we go through this lesson this morning. Um, while you're doing that, let me remind all the guys that this Tuesday is the men's prayer luncheon. We're going to start at noon over in the Fellowship Hall. John Skipworth, the cost is $4. $4. And it's all you can eat. We're going to do pizza, salad. There are going to be some, uh, some, some sodas and some water, tea, coffee, those kinds of things. There's great dessert. And it's a time of prayer for the brothers to get together and to pray for one another. If you've never been, let me give you a personal invite to be a part of that men's prayer luncheon. We'll make sure that you get out by noon, or excuse me, by one, so that you can get back to, uh, to work. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this, this time that we have consecrated as a time of, of worship, as a, a time in which we come together as a church family to, to lift up our voices and, and to place all of our affections through singing and through study and through prayer and through the, the giving of, of the resources that You've blessed us with to place all of our affection squarely on You. To focus and to refocus and to focus once again our lives like a laser on Your presence and on Your Word, Father, that, 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 that gives instruction to our minds and to our hearts on how to live and how to relate to one another and, and what Your mission is for Your kingdom here on this planet. We pray to be the kind of people that embrace that wholeheartedly to embrace it with both hands. We pray, Father, that we will be galvanized in our spirit and given courage to live out the implications of this text every day. Father, give us eyes that see and ears that hear this text this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name and all the church said. Uh, an author that I like to read, uh, you might have heard of him, maybe, maybe you haven't, probably a lot of you have maybe read his most famous book. His name is Brennan Manning. He wrote the book, uh, I think a very good book, uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. Brennan Manning grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And while he was growing up, he had a best friend. He had, he had somebody that was, that was closer to him than a brother. He was his best friend by the name of Ray. And these guys went to school together. They, they played sports together. They bought cars together. They double-dated together. They went to college together. I mean, you get the idea. These guys are inseparable. They are best buddies. They are best friends forever. When they got older, they decided that they would do one more thing together, and that was enlist in the Army. And they enlisted together. They went off to boot camp together. They ended up going to Korea together. And one day, in the middle of a lull, or what they thought was a lull in a battle, they find themselves in the same foxhole. And Ray and Brennan, these long-time, you know, bound-by-blood friends, are in this foxhole in the middle of a war, you know, thousands of miles away from Brooklyn. And Ray is eating a chocolate Hershey bar. 
And he's reminiscing about life when they were growing up in Brooklyn and how nice it would be for them to get back to Brooklyn and all the things that they could do. When all of a sudden, the war starts up again and a live grenade is thrown into their foxhole. Life and death situation. And Ray looks at Brennan and smiles and then throws his body on top of that grenade. That live grenade detonates. Ray is killed instantly. But Brennan is rescued. When I read that story, I couldn't help but think about that passage out of John chapter 15 and verse 13. That well-worn, dog-eared page in our Bible where Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, finish it with me church, to lay down one's life for one's friend. To lay down one's life for one's friends. It's a sad truth. But sometimes one person's rescue means another person's death. Sometimes, in fact, many times, one person's rescue means another person's death. It's, uh, it's one of those things that you read about all the time. Those kinds of stories of sacrifice, they're inspiring. I mean, history just brims with stories like this about one person who's willing to lay his life down, who's willing to die for friends and for colleagues, for his brothers in arms. And all of those stories inspire us, but the very best one, the greatest one of them all, the greatest of all of those stories is found in the Bible. For the last couple of weeks, we have been meditating and thinking about that profound passage that's located in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-11. through 11. It's an ancient church hymn. And that first hymn, the first verse of that hymn, as we discovered a couple of weeks ago, is about the fact that, that Christ is God the Son and He's with God the Father and God the Spirit, but He volunteers to descend from His infiniteness. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. He descends from that infiniteness into finiteness. Again, I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. And there were a lot of things. There were a lot of divine prerogatives. There were a lot of divine privileges that he had to sacrifice for that to become a reality. Then the second verse is this. That descent from being God the Son into becoming uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnation of becoming flesh, it didn't end right there. We read in that second verse that he humbled himself. He voluntarily, it was his decision in, in coming to earth into our finiteness to humble himself and taking on the form of a servant. It still does not end at that point. In verse 8, we read that not only did he humble himself and become a servant, but he became obedient, obedient to death, finish at church, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. What happens when we begin to reflect on that phrase, even death on a a cross. I mean, what happens to a human being when you, you know that you're in this foxhole and you discover that there's somebody else with you in that foxhole in this low-grade war called life and that that person that's in that foxhole with you is willing to throw themselves on that grenade? What does that do for you? What does it do for you? Well, I think that we discover a couple of truths about ourselves and about Jesus. The first one is this. Human beings are sinners in need of a Savior. Human beings are sinners in need of a Savior. You know, uh, you go back to the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is, is watching the world around him, which is basically Israel. He's watching this world kind of 
untie itself. It, it, it's, it's becoming untethered to God. It, it's coming uh, unraveled and, and it's loosening up. And, and Habakkuk is a prophet of God. He's a holy individual. And he understands the difference between you know, the life that God ordains and the life that he sees being lived out among his fellow Jews. And he's troubled by this. And he has a question for God. And he goes, God, why do you make us, all of us, why do you make me, why do you yourself, why do you look upon this iniquity? Why do you look upon this iniquity? He says towards the end of the first chapter, I thought you were holy. Why do you make me look at all this evil? Well, you know, the world is a place full of signs. And we walk kind of a fine line sometimes between the two of them. There's one set of signs that are very optimistic. They're very positive. We look at the great beauty of, of, of creation. There are beautiful things that take place when human beings are actually nice to one another every once in a while. And we, we marvel in, in the greatness of... And, and, and the generosity of that moment. We, we see the, the birth of children. We see, we see great things happen in people's lives. We see the beauty of, of canyons and mountains and stars. And we see the rhythm of creation where you know, the sun comes up in the east and it sets in the west. And there are moon and there are stars. And that beauty sometimes overwhelms us. And our hearts are so filled with that beauty and that hope that, that one day we'll get to see the one that created all of it. But then you know as well as I do that there's a flip side to that coin. There's a flip side to that coin. That sometimes the world is filled with a lot of meanness. There's a lot of, a lot of death, a lot of you know, terrible tragedy. There's suffering. There's, there's, there's cancers and diseases and disorder. And, and there's, there's terrorism. All manner of, of, of terrible things. Middle school girls' inhumanity to other middle school girls. Diets that don't work. There's all kinds of things that, that, that make us think that this, this world is just unraveling. And we ask the question even today, why do we look upon all of this iniquity? Why do we look upon all of this evil? God, I thought you were holy. The answer comes in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 in one of the many places around the Bible where such an answer does come to the question of why do we look upon the iniquity, the angel speaks to Joseph in a dream when he's, he's, he's contemplating what in the world is my next step? What do I do next now that I find that the person that I'm betrothed to is with child? What's the next step? This angel comes to him in a dream and says, she's going to give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name in Hebrew, Yeshua or the shortened form of Yeshu. We say Jesus in America. And the meaning of that name and the reason that you're going to give Him that name is that He will save His people from their sins. The reason at the root and the core of the problem is human sin. That's why there's a Christmas and quite frankly that's why there is an Easter. One day is to remind us that indeed God did come in the flesh. That God the Son incarnated Himself and became like one of us. He became a man in the flesh. The other day is to remind us that God the Son had to come in the flesh in order to save us from our sins. Now, most of the world likes the birth of Jesus. We love Christmas. But we sort of hold the, the cross at arm's length. There's a little bit of disdain at the very idea of the cross. 
You know, I think about this, this family that Ellen and I, when we were first married, uh, we were working for a little church while we were in college, working for a little church with their youth uh, just outside of Abilene. And uh, for a short period of time, it was really only a couple of months, as we were driving from Abilene to the town where this church was located, as we got into town, we would kind of get off of the highway. We would pick up this family, a, a bunch of kids. We'd, we'd load mom and dad and three or four kids into the back seat of the, the Buick Skylark Limited. And we would, we would drive them to church. And it was sort of the same thing. I mean, as, as, as soon as we drove up, they'd be waiting by the door. They'd be get into the vehicle, and they would go, Kids, now you be careful of this car. This is a nice car. And, and Brother Mark's taking us to go see the baby Jesus. And, and then he would say, Kids, did you bring your money to give to the baby Jesus? And, don't, you know, act nice in, in Sunday school because you're learning about the baby Jesus. And after we, we worship baby Jesus, we're going to come on home. And aren't we grateful to have Mark who's going to take us to see the baby Jesus? And I don't know why, you know, I reflect on that and I, I wonder, maybe it was because I was only 21 or 22 at the time and, 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 and I maybe wasn't all that courageous, but I think back and wonder what would have happened if he would have said, baby Jesus that, baby Jesus that, if I would have said, guess what, the baby Jesus grew up and he became the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. What would have happened? We like the baby, we're not so sure at times in this world about the lamb. And part of the reason is that we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. I mean, when you, you look at any survey, it doesn't even have to be by religious people. It doesn't have to be by Christian groups. You look at any survey, nobody likes to think of themselves as sinners. They have a pretty good idea of the people that are going to hell, but they're never on it. They're always going to heaven. They're not sinners. You know what they are? They're mistakers. They're people who make mistakes. They don't need a Savior. You know what they need? They need a cheerleader who's going to say, try harder, try harder. What's that old cheer? Two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar. All we got to do is try harder. The problem is, is that it's more than that. The mistakers don't believe that they need forgiveness. What they need is just to try harder. And the improvement that we try to make as mistakers is impossible because we're morally corrupt. And yet we don't recognize the fact that we're morally corrupt because of two different strategies that, that afflict our minds or attack our minds at times. One is misdirection. It's not my fault. It's the circumstances. It's the job. It's the economy. It's the marriage. It's the relationship. It's my parents. It's, it's any of these number of things, but it's a misdirection that deflects personal responsibility for your own morality from self to something else. It's not my fault. Or it's comparison. That's the other strategy. You know, I know that I do a couple of things wrong. You know, I may not be the nicest guy from time to time, but you know what? I'm better than Joe Schmo from Kokomo down the street. It's the comparison game. And you know what? I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm okay. All I need to do is try a little bit harder. The problem is that God does not just get over it and move on. Is God really great... Is God really the great God that the Bible says that He is, that we sing about? Is God really the majestic, holy, gigantic Creator, God and Shepherd of our souls if He is just able to turn the other way and say, you know what, no big deal. Turn a blind eye to sin. No, because He is great and because He is everything that the Bible purports Him to be, God has to act. And you know, God... You know, God's Word is a lot different from my Word. It's a lot 
a lot different from all of our words. I, I, you know, I, I can remember, you know, when, when our kids were, were small and, and Ellen would, would, you know, say something out the, the window uh, along the effects of, time to come in, it's time to eat. And there's no action. There's just, there's just playing out there in the backyard. And then she would say, she would say, if you kids don't come in, you're going to get punished. Still no action. They're still out there playing. And then she would say, I'm telling you kids right now, you better get yourself in here. I'm going to wear you out. And sometimes there was action, sometimes not so much action. God's Word is completely different. When God speaks, things happen. He says, let there be light and there is light. Let there be heavens and earth and there is heavens and earth. Let there be you know, a differentiation between the dry land and the, and the water and all of that takes place. But God does not speak and cannot speak sin out of existence. You know what? I can, I can do a lot of creating. I, you, know, I can, I can, I can, you know, when I get on the drum, sometimes I can, uh, I can create a, a, a drum rhythm. There are times when I go into my wood shop and there are things that I can create. But nothing in comparison to the greatness of the creation that we all live in, that God created by just saying a word. God can create something out of nothing. But God cannot just make sin disappear. That's why Jesus appeared. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, He has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything that we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our, finish it, Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, who has destroyed death, and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Do you know what we are? We are human beings. And humans are sinners in need of a Savior. And praise God that Jesus is the substitute who saves. Jesus is the substitute who saves. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, that same verse, there's going to be the birth of a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. How is he supposed to do that? How is He going to do that? How is He going to save somebody like me, somebody like you, from our sins and cleanse our souls and give us a clean conscience so that we're able to sleep at night? And how is it that He's going to create the possibility for there to be this eternal relationship with God the Father where we will spend all of eternity in heaven in the beauty of, of, of God's heaven, in God's presence, and to see Him face to face without being destroyed? How will He do that? Well, you've heard me talk about this before. Theologically, there's a couple of ways to talk about sin and salvation. Sin is this. Sin is man putting himself in God's place. That's what sin is. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and that's what you have. You have God in God's place, man in man's place as the creature, as the created being. He is given work to do. He is given a mission. He is, he is given a helpmate. And life is moving on until the place where Satan enters into the scene and he tempts the woman who who's, the man is brought into it and they, they share of the forbidden fruit and gain the knowledge of good and evil, all based on the lie that God lied, that God does not have your best interest at stake, that God does not, that God does not 
tell you the truth, you will not die. What will happen instead is that you will be like God Himself. And sin is born and sin enters into the world and the world has never been the same. Sin is where man is in God's place. You know what salvation is? Salvation is this. Salvation is God in man's place. The first Adam brought sin and death into the world. For us, death is inevitable. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 3. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is no way that we can get ourselves out of it. The only way is for someone to come and to stand in our place, to lie down on that grenade. And that's why Jesus came. It wasn't just for God to do an experiment in the process of incarnating His Son. And it wasn't just that He could see how humble He could become, but it was, there, was, there was purpose to the incarnation. He became a man so that He could stand in my place and stand in your place. It is Christ who comes to hang on the cross accursed and as a criminal when we are really the criminals and the ones that are cursed. You know, we don't think a lot about that crown of thorns outside of it being one of the ways that, that Jesus was tortured. But you know what? Every Jew that walked by Him and saw that crown of thorns knew exactly what that stood for. You go back to Genesis 3, after man has sinned and, and sin has entered into the world, God shows up and there's this confrontation with the serpent and with man. And in that, that confrontation, He says, you know, cursed is the earth. Cursed. You're going to have, by the sweat of your brow, that's the only way you're going to be able to bring up the food. The, the, the earth is going to be cursed with thorns. And when Jesus has that thorn, that thorn on His head, that, that crown of thorns on His head, the symbolism was not lost on the first century Jews. The symbol of the curse is on Him. And that's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a what? Christ became the curse. Have you ever been cursed? Not cursed out. Yeah, everybody knows what that like, apparently. One time, uh, Ellen and I are in Africa. We're going through a village, and uh, we're doing some, some, some preaching in this village, and there is a, a woman in this village that's walking around. I don't know what she's saying, but you know, she's, she's sort of acting like a chicken, and she's yelling, and obviously she's yelling at us, and we, we kind of go on with the church service, and at the end I ask what in the world was going on over there? And the, the guy that was kind of the, the leader of the church there, he said, well, she's a, she's a witch doctor and she was cursing you. When we were living in Brazil as missionaries, it was not uncommon to find uh, out along the side of the road, wherever you might be in, 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 in the city we were living in, you would find uh, you know, an empty liquor bottle and some chicken feathers and some candles. Somebody had been cursed. The world understands what cursing is all about. It, it's placing the anti-opposite of blessing, the anti-blessing, on you. The curse is about destruction. The curse is about debilitation. The curse is about disease. The curse is about being destroyed. Jesus takes that upon Himself, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He becomes our substitute. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He Himself bore our sins 
in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And the extraordinary thing about all of this is that He did it because He loved us. You and I are really the reasons for the Incarnation. He incarnated Himself. He gave up the privileges of, 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 of some of the, the, the privileges and prerogatives of deity to become a person, a man. And He humbled Himself to become a servant in order to serve you and me. And the reason that He was serving you and me is that He would be obedient to death, even death on the cross. He would die as a criminal in our place because He loved us. 1 John chapter 4, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. So what do you do when you realize that you're in this foxhole? In this low-grade war called life? And that you're not alone. There's somebody in that foxhole with you that's willing to take that grenade for you. So that you might live. So that you might carry on. Well, some years after Brennan Manning gets out of that foxhole alive, finds himself back in Brooklyn, finds himself going back to the house of his friend Ray. His mother is still alive. They're sitting in the living room. They're having tea. And as you can imagine, the talk kind of curls back to, uh, to Ray and his friendship with Brennan, Brennan's friendship with Ray and all those growing up years. And it's quiet for a moment. And then Brennan asks Ray's mother, do you think that Ray really loves me? And Ray's mother gets up out of her chair and walks over to Brennan and grabs his face with both hands the way that only a mom or a grandmother can do. And in a louder than normal voice, she says, What more could he have done? What more could Jesus do for you? To show you his love? To give you the way out of the hell of your sin? To give you a way into a life that is abundant? and rich in the presence of God Himself to help you change your destructive behaviors, to, to free you from addictions, to literally turn you into the kind of person that Jesus was through His Word, through fellowship, through teaching and preaching and through the indwelling of the Spirit and the process of sanctification of making you holy and moving you away from that, that sinfulness. What more could He have done than to die the way He died? You know what our response is? To confess that Jesus is Lord. And the second thing is to bow the knee before Him and to glory in the fact that God has exalted Him above every other name that is named. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now, and we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. Maybe for the first time in your life, 
the impact of the cross and of the love of, of, of God in Christ and the forgiveness and all of that is, is on you like you've never felt it before. I'm telling you before God that the time to move and to respond is now. To confess your faith and to change your life and to have your sins washed away through baptism and, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and to dedicate your life as a life that lives worthy of that love that was shown you when one decided that he would leave the perfect harmony of infinity with God the Father and come to earth and to die in our stead. If that describes you this morning, we want you to come and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together. Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can